is to become more of a, a local focused, you know, media company, so to speak, and target local businesses to, you know, pay us to advertise just like they would on a billboard. All right. And just like that, we are back again with the Mind the Growth podcast. As always, I am Chris Kinghorn. And I'm Eric Hoffman. And Eric, I've got a little bit of a, of a different studio setup today, so I apologize about my, my, messy, uh, my messy kitchen here. It's all right. We do what we got to do, you know? I know, I know. We're, uh, we're quarantining for all those who are wondering what's going on, but we're uh, being safe and uh, we don't have too many symptoms at the moment, so we should be good to go soon. <laughs> I thought you were actually going to say you had to sell your offices, liquidate a lot of your assets, and now you're stuck in your apartment because that's the only thing you have left <laughs> in terms well, of my your margin portfolio. Got to, yeah. I've got a little bit left on my margin call, so I'm hoping that I can ride that out. So we're we're still in the apartment for now. We might be we might be homeless Good. in the next you know call it 15 <laughs> days if things keep going the way they're going. Seriously, yeah. So probably a good segue. What the heck is happening? Uh, we're we're in a pretty big death spiral right now. <laughs> we are, we are. Um, Papa Powell came out and uh, bumped us up 75 basis points, but um, I mean, based on how how terrible the last handful of trading days have been, I think we were kind of priced in a little bit. There was a little bit of positivity uh, behind the market after that was after the 75 was announced, um, but I don't I don't necessarily see anything going up within the next handful of months. What are you, what are you saying? Yeah, it's looking pretty dire right now, both, you know, stocks and, and crypto, which I'm focusing on. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that were calling this past Monday, bloody Monday in both the market and uh, in crypto, crypto in particular, because there's been just uh, a, a crazy, whirlwind of things happening, a cascading effect, I guess you would say. Ever since Luna collapsed, there's been lots of disruption since then. Are, are you? Have you been reading about a couple of the others that seem to be bringing the market down? Yeah, Celsius. And <clears throat> I'm, uh, it's funny, when I, when I had first gotten into um, kind of staking rewards and figuring out where to, where to park my crypto, I, I, I decided to go in the direction of Kraken for um, Cardano and Polkadot. And for Bitcoin and Ethereum, I was really torn in between Celsius and Nexo. And thankfully, I decided to go Nexo um, <laughs> because they're actually yeah. now, it looks like they might make a run to acquire Celsius. Yeah, uh, yeah. People are that... calling it a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> the coin is down, what, 97%, I want to say? Yeah, something like that. Uh I, I was in the same boat. I've had some a lot of my coins in Celsius or not Celsius in Nexo for quite a while. Early on, I did what I would consider a fairly deep dive into what seemed to be the safest uh, exchange slash company to earn some sort of interest on the coins. And Nexo seemed to be the best option at the time. This was, you know, even back in 2018, 2019. And they've grown exponentially since then. But one of the things that I like about them, and this uh, this episode is not yet sponsored by Nexo, but it could be. So anyone who has some connections over at Nexo, we love you guys. And uh, we have some money with you. So 
send some money our way. That would be nice. <laughs> uh, anyways, so I put some some of my capital into Nexo, and over the last couple of years, they've built up a lot of their reserves. They now have real time auditing insurance behind you know uh, what they what they have in terms of liabilities. So I I think it's a great option. And I was actually looking to transition to Celsius because they were offering a few more percentage points on some of the tokens. And I never did anything with it. My younger brother, Brandon, he was considering it and he actually put in a decent chunk into Celsius, which about two weeks ago, he pulled, he luckily pulled all of it out somehow, uh, you know, predating the crash. But earlier or over what was it over the weekend i think it may have been friday of this past week they froze everyone's accounts because there was such a large influx of withdrawals and there were a few people in the crypto world that were basically suggesting that they were insolvent and that it was going to collapse which it appears they were right so there was a huge bank run and they froze everyone's accounts, which is wild in and of itself. And now they're restructuring their debt. They're, you know, lowering their um, liquidation point to avoid getting margin called because they have a lot of capital locked into not only the Ethereum uh, uh, ETH 2.0 launch because they have a lot of staking in Ethereum. I think around 500 million or so and isn't it true that you can't unstake eth 2.0 until it goes live not only that it's it's likely about six to 12 months after it goes live that they'll release the you know freeze on the staking that's already in there just to make sure everything is stable before they allow that so we're looking at you know 12 months minimum before any of those funds are even available and so they're they're basically handcuffed to a lot of different debt uh, situations that they're in. And so they froze everyone's accounts. And now I just read that I'll share my screen real quick. Hang on. We'll have to touch on Binance as well too, because I know there's a there was some drama going on with them. All right. So I just read that they hired a prominent attorney firm, which usually indicates bankruptcy of some sort and liquidation. Who knows? But they've been, you know, restructuring and trying to get themselves into a better position to remain as a company. So I'm curious how this is going to play out because it's a big, <laughs> a big deal. They had billions in assets and uh, now it appears they're going away just like Luna did. So can you That'll... look up what the Celsius coin, the value of the Celsius coin is? And while you're doing that, kind of to give everybody some context, if they're not as familiar, you know, Celsius has a coin and so does Nexo and so does Binance and a bunch of these other um, kind of blending platforms have uh, these coins. And what you can do is instead of keeping USD in your bank account, you can transfer it into one of these uh, one of these ecosystems and they will give you six, seven, eight, twelve percent. Um, not right of a thing. return on it. So the Celsius coin over the last handful of weeks, my understanding was it crashed about 97%. So think of putting in you know, $50,000 of your savings into this because you're going to get a 12% return compounding weekly or daily. And that uh, that goes to 2% or 3% of the, the original value. So nonetheless, right, it's not right. a good situation. Yeah. It's all right. Uh, 
all, all I knew it, too. I knew it it fell like 60% when they froze the accounts so right. I'm sure it's plunged more since then uh, yeah who, who knows but it's it's in the dumps <laughs> that's for sure um, but a new, another one that came out um, today are you familiar with three arrows capital or three AC I'm not no okay so let's share another screen so this guy, Zhu Su, he's, he's really prominent in the Bitcoin community. He created basically a, a hedge fund for crypto. And over the past couple of months, he had, I want to say, like uh, $500 million or so in Luna when it collapsed, which obviously is a huge hit in and of itself. And he also has a lot of money tied up into the Ethereum staking, which, as we already talked about, will not be available for another 12 months, probably minimum. And so their hedge fund seems to be collapsing also at the same time as everything else. And so it's these huge like billion dollar companies that are seemingly taking down the entire market. And then on top of that, a lot of these day traders and smart people that want to make money on the the coins dropping in value are pressuring sale so that they can short the coins, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or otherwise, and uh, you know make money on the downturn. So there's lots of sell pressure, and, and more important than anything, everyone wants to see Michael Saylor liquidated. <laughs> so <laughs> originally, I think. If Bitcoin was going to hit 21,000, he had a margin call or something at that point. He's since clarified that at the 21,000 mark, he can put up another, you know, 10,000 Bitcoin or whatever it was to lower the threshold back down to like 3,000 or 3,500 a coin. So it's looking unlikely that he'll be liquidated. But I think people were cheering for that to happen because of how vocal and extreme he is about Bitcoin in particular. So yeah, lots of craziness, especially in crypto land. Right. Well, and then the kind of a little bit more of a sturdy, um, I guess, exchange Binance. They Mm -hmm. had a, no, was it, was it, it wasn't Binance. It was, um, it was BlockFi. I, maybe, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the full story on BlockFi. I believe what happened with BlockFi is transactions were, were held up. They were blocked up for quite some time. And they said that there was, uh, it was, it was due to one, one order, um, that had glitched some sort of glitch. That was Binance. Backed up. It was Binance. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So I had my wires crossed there. Yeah. So, so Binance what, you... at, around the same time that Celsius froze accounts, there was a freeze, a brief freeze on Binance withdrawals as well. And everyone was suspecting similar things that Binance was going to go under at the same time. Um, CZ, the the founder and the billionaire that started Binance, he had come out pretty quickly saying, hey, it was just a glitch, nothing to worry about here. And then he's now on a roadshow basically saying all these other exchanges like Coinbase, Gemini, etc. are having 20% of their... Uh, employees laid off. We're hiring 2,000 positions. We're in the best position ever, et cetera, et cetera. So he's he's doing his typical thing. And it doesn't seem like Binance is going anywhere. But at the same time, their stable coin, the, uh, uh, the Binance dollar or whatever the hell it's called, um, I think it's 
being investigated uh, to some degree. Yeah. So who knows what will happen there, but (laughs) they seem to be in an okay position. So crypto has obviously been the wild west. This is, is this all of the, the bad actors kind of being, you know, pushed out of town. Is this, are we getting to a spot where legitimate business is now going to take over and only the, you know, the, the true platforms, the, the ones that w- with the quality offering are going to survive quality, you know, infrastructure of, in, in a business sense, what, or is just, is this just caused by a series of unfortunate events that have, you know, that are dragging not only the, the coins down, but some of these larger companies as well. And some of these hedge funds, what, what do you see? Yeah. So I, I have a few thoughts. I think this is just another cyclical bear market, which a lot of people have gone through several now. I've, I've personally been through one in the, in the crypto world in the 2017, 2018 era where Bitcoin and Ethereum reached all-time highs. I think it was around 20,000 a coin for Bitcoin, around 2,000 a coin for Ethereum in 2000, late 2017, if I recall. And then Ethereum dropped to like $83. Bitcoin dropped to like 3,400 or something. And that lasted for a good, you know, 12 to 24 months. And until around 2020, when the pandemic started, that's when the run-up started again. So at that time, if you recall, the big thing, which is very similar to what I would say the NFT market looks like today, there is the ICO craze, the initial coin offering. And at the time, I think everyone was ultimately aware that most of those ICOs were scams or you know Ponzi schemes of some sort, and they would go down to zero. But some of the more prominent crypto projects today started as ICOs. And so I think that's going to be similar with the NFT market to a degree. But what I expect is there's going to be all-time highs reached again in, in another three years max, I think, for both Bitcoin and Ethereum. And a lot of the DeFi projects that a lot of people are pointing to as a scam or uh, a Ponzi scheme or whatever it is, I think a lot of them will be flushed out and the good ones will remain like an Aave or uh, you know a Uniswap sort of situation. So I think those are going to continue on. And with NFTs in particular, I think there's going to be a shift in focus away from, let's say, JPEGs just has a, a general picture of a, a punk or a monkey or whatever to more of a utility like we've talked about going to a concert or, you know, uh, a trade show or soul bound tokens at some point for your license, passport, etc. I think that's going to be more of the emphasis on NFTs moving forward. And there's this is the perfect time for people to start building those projects. And then I, I do have a strong sense that a lot of the layer one blockchains, whether they exist today or are created in the future, they're going to gear more towards like a B2B SaaS program, meaning it the blockchain is going to be more like a database structure and the there's going to be a lot of B2B use cases. I, I tweeted about one a while back, but... Obviously, on this show, we talk a lot about wine, watches, cars, things of that nature. And we may have talked about this briefly, but 
I think there's going to be a company, whether I create it or not, that has a blockchain structure to identify and validate that, let's say, a, a Rolex is legitimate or real instead of uh, a fake. Or, you know, this vintage bottle of wine is actually this vintage bottle of wine, and it's verified via the blockchain. And what a lot of the use case that people have been talking about for years that the blockchain allows for is these smart contract uh, technologies that allow for the original producer, whether it's a Rolex or an Opus One for wine or a Porsche for cars, to be able to maximize their revenue by uh, gaining a percentage of each aftermarket sale in perpetuity. So like the the gray market for watches is worth billions upon billions of dollars every year. You know, you buy a Rolex from an AD today, you double your money instantly at minimum. And so why do, why would Rolex want to miss out on a 100% increase in the value of their watch the second it's produced? I don't think they would if they had an opportunity to. So not only could they validate every watch that they produce and put out, but they can earn a you know percentage point of revenue on every time it's sold forever in the future if it's if it works through blockchain. So the main point is I think a lot of focus is going to turn more towards B2B and these types of SaaS uh, arrangements like software as a service for those who aren't familiar. So I, I'm interested to see how that plays out over the next couple of years. But I think we're in for a good 12 to 24 months of, of pain. Well, I agree. And if you look at the the last quote unquote called boom within crypto, it's, you call it 2017. So that was really the early adopters, the, the, the people that were really first there for, for, there for the first your early adopters were 2010 to you know 2012, 2013, whatever it is. But if you were heavily in, involved in crypto in 2017, I would still really look at you as a first adopter. Yeah. This this cycle was heavily focused on the retail traders. Everyone, because of COVID, was sitting at home. Things were significantly slower. There was all this this cash that was you know thrown in the marketplace. But towards the middle and the end of the the boom cycle within this last cycle it started getting a lot more institutional. So I think that that gave a lot of exposure to what it could be. And it also opened a lot of people's eyes of what it is and then also what some, some potential regulation could be. We didn't fully get to the point where we need to, needed to with regulation, but I think things have, have started to transpire to put us on the path of where exactly we need to be. And I really do like your point of, you know, what does this next cycle look like, you know, during this building period of the next six months, 12 months, 24 months, whatever it might be, a lot of these, a lot of these blockchains are going to continue to be built out. So, Car for Cardano, for example, there's a thousand projects that are being built on Cardano. Some of those are they're B2B. Some of those are kind of government focused. There's a variety of different projects. So, all these other blockchains have hundreds of thousands of projects that are being built. So, if that continues to you know uh, to expand and, and go on for the next 12, 24 months, once we hit the next cycle, there's going to be a lot more utility for a lot of these things. And some of the bad actors and some of the, you know, the blockchains that are just, just really dog shit, those are going to phase out. Uh, I think it's going to go from people being more speculative on the coins is what this last cycle was to where the utility utility actually is and what has been built on that, on those platforms. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see the, you know, what 2017 was, what this cycle is and what the next cycle will be. Yeah, I agree. I think, it's uh, a wait and see game right now, and I'm 
I'm buckled up for the long haul. So, you know, are you buying? I I had been this when uh, on what Friday or Saturday when everything tanked another like 12 to 15 percent, whatever it was. I have not purchased since then. So I, I was buying up Ethereum at like 1700 Bitcoin at like 27,000. But then when it dropped even <laughs> further, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this could be a bloodbath. And I personally, my opinion, it, and this isn't a uh, financial advice for those of you out there, but I am waiting to see how some of these play out like the Celsius story or the three AC, because if those go down, the markets are going with it. And I I don't want to, you know, be stuck <laughs> again, holding the bag, even though I will be to a degree, I don't want to put more money in that's just going to be cut in half uh, again and again and again. So yeah, it, it hurts to see. But, you know, it hurt the last time around, and it looked great on the other end. So fingers crossed, we'll see that again. All right. Well, so let's just keep DCAing, baby. That's the plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one other thing that I wanted to talk about today is podcasts and uh, chat about some that we're listening to, um, some that are up and coming, and bat around some ideas. So, uh, what are you listening to right now? What's let Let's say your top two or three that you cycle through. Yes. Yeah, so one that I like, um, from a, there, there's a handful of, I'm in the construction tech ecosystem. So there's a lot of construction tech podcasts and I'll listen to those every once in a while, just to get a pulse on what, what people are saying about the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But if I'm unplugging and want to spend my time, you know, just thinking about something that's something that I enjoy, that's not, not work related. Um, you know, if I'm looking for a wine podcast, I really do like uh, Bon Appetit, bon Appetit and um, what is his name? It's Austin. What's his last name? It's a guy named Austin who's a psalm and he does a great job. He's got his own uh, he's got his own podcast and it is uh, Wine of the World is what the um, is what the title of the series is. And he's got a, a handful of different videos out, but he, he did a, a video with like Kevin Hart and he, he's done a few others with um, famous people, whether it's an actor or a, uh, um, or an athlete. And he just does a really good job of uh, kind of highlighting a variety of different components about wine, but it's more so what he always goes back to is the, the experience. And some of the conversations that he has with his guests are, are just phenomenal. He does a really good job of focusing on the wine, but also having a great conversation with somebody. So really good interviewer. Um, I really like that one. Hodinkee for watches, but one that I did come across that I've been really enjoying and we'd love to, we'd love to try to collab with you guys is craft and tailored. So craft and tailored is a, um, is a group, out of LA and they source vintage watches. And obviously we're huge watch fans on this, on this podcast and craft and tailored. I've probably watched five or six of their, of their videos now and it's only been a handful of days. Absolutely love it. They do a great job explaining the watches, um, kind of educating people on, on the different uh, reference numbers and kind of the importance of importance and significance of each uh, and, and kind of where they fit into you know, uh, the, the manufacturer story. Um, so really enjoying that one and all in podcast. I don't think you can go wrong with that one. Um, those guys are hoot. So those are, those are kind of three that, that I really enjoy. Nice. 
Yeah, I, I'll have to check out that wine podcast. I'm not familiar, but it sounds cool. And they should actually rename it to Wine Weekly or Weekly Wine or something like that and just feature yeah. a, a new wine each week and then make money by being an affiliate for that winery and whatever is sold. They've got yeah. like 6 million subscribers, uh, so they're doing something yeah, right. I, I guess they know better than me. So <laughs> I won't pitch them my consulting services just yet. Uh, but yeah, that sounds like an interesting one. The the ones that I have been listening to, I've uh, for the past couple of years been really into the business podcasts like in All In, although ever since the All In Summit, they've only just been releasing like snippets from that show. So I haven't really li- right. listened much uh, since their last. Did you listen to the Elon one? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I haven't been listening to that one over the past few weeks because I don't think they've had an actual, you know, original podcast since the All In Summit. But regardless, the ones that I have been listening to perpetually for a while, I'll share my screen again. This one is the My First Million podcast. Uh, A couple of reasons I love this podcast. First, this guy, um, Sam Parr, he and his co-host, Sean Prury, they they they're like silicon valley guys sam parr started that newsletter called the hustle and sean worked for a, a few uh startups in silicon valley one that he sold to twitch etc um but the the way they have banter back and forth i think is really unique and what they kind of fell into is the structure where they most of the time, less so recently, but most of the time they spend the podcast just talking about different business ideas that they have and that they've seen what they would do to, you know, make money off certain, certain businesses that they think of or that have come to them. And now they're both angel investing. And so it's really interesting to hear from guys that are pretty much our age, uh, that have been successful and, you know, some of the things they think about where they're putting their money. So I really enjoy that one. And another one that just came out is called cartoon avatars. It's this guy, Logan Bartlett. He, He's a venture capitalist at Redpoint, which is a VC firm in New York. They, they've they been doing a pretty good job. They've shifted up their structure a bit as well. Originally, it was called Three Cartoon Avatars. It was three guys uh, that would just talk and, and banter about tech companies, VC, etc. And now it's, it's shifted more towards... Like on the front end, he'll have a different co-host each week. And then uh, in the middle, they, he interviews some guy. Like last week, he interviewed the founder of Ramp, which is a, a corporate credit card company that's worth billions now. And the last few episodes have got a ton of traction because this guy, Zach Weinberg, who I assume is a billionaire, he started a few companies, sold one to Google, um, he's done very well for himself, but he's very publicly against crypto. And so they've had a few people on uh, that have debated him about the use cases of crypto, which is probably a terrible idea to do in a bear market when crypto is tanking (laughs) because (laughs) it's hard to point to things that are losing value by 80%, you know, (laughs) week over week. So, you know, not the best idea to be a, a, a crypto uh fanboy debating somebody in times like this but it's made for a pretty good listen 
And then when I'm bored with business, I uh, enjoy listening to the Always Sunny podcast. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. And it's one of the rare shows that I actually laugh out loud when I'm listening to it. <laughs> so I think they've done a good job. Um, but also one thing that I was thinking about for our podcast, because at some point we need to make some money doing this because we don't work for free. Everyone knows that. Um, yeah, so far, but one thing that kind of jogged my memory and that I was thinking of this guy, Andrew Wilkinson, he's, he started this company, um, called MetaLab maybe a decade ago or something, made a ton of money. He created a, um, I, I don't know what he would consider this, a, uh, private equity company, maybe he'd call it. But they're, they basically just buy up companies like they bought Aeropress, for instance, and they own it now 100%. And they make it better and they keep it forever and just, you know, live off the profits. So he he's done that quite a bit. But I actually first heard about him on the My First Million podcast. And he talked about this thing he was doing that he wasn't sure if it was going to make any money, but apparently it's done very well. Um, he wanted to do more of like a very localized news service and he called it capital daily. He lives in Canada. So he hired a few writers and, uh, like a CEO to start it up and run it. I think he said he invested a few hundred thousand to basically get it up and running. And now from the last I heard, it's doing pretty well in terms of bringing revenue in. But his whole theory and thesis behind it is local news is relatively broken in terms of what you can get and how it's how you get it. So, I mean, in Phoenix here, we have like the Phoenix New Times, Arizona Republic, things like that. But I don't know if you've been on those websites lately. It's a friggin' nightmare. <laughs> There's like Don't ads everywhere. Yeah, AZ Republic's shifted to a subscription model. Phoenix New Times is like a landmine. Every page you go to, it's it's like impossible to scroll through. It's just ads everywhere, like janky ads. Oh yeah, it's just disgusting, and nobody wants to be on here. So his idea was, why don't you create like a great website that a tech company would be proud of? And why don't you have it be incentivized for people to actually stay on the website, get their local news, et cetera, and creatively feed ads to them. So the reason I bring this up was because we talked about the podcast and I first listened to him on My First Million. But for our sake, what I think could be a, an interesting business model for a podcast similarly is We've been talking to a lot of business people local to Phoenix, and we'll continue to do that because that's where we live and that's where our network is. So I think it could be interesting uh, maybe having certain episodes be focused on, you know, just a general advertisement for a local business that's looking to reach, you know, a few thousands or, you know, hopefully eventually tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of listeners to sell a product or a service because local businesses need local outreach. And it's a nightmare to go through services like Phoenix New Times. I, I also just don't like, <laughs> don't like them. So I think that could be an interesting play for us is to become more of a, a local focused you know, 
media company, so to speak, and target local businesses to, you know, pay us to advertise just like they would on a billboard and, uh, you know, benefit in that way. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the, I, I, I think it's a good idea. The, this, the sticky part for me and the difficulty is making sure that we're creating content that we know our listeners want to hear. So if it turns into more so of a pitch of a product and an advertisement and less of something that's an enjoyable conversation, I think that we're going to get some pushback totally, from, the, totally. from the listeners. So but we'd love to, we'd <clears> love to get your guys thoughts. I mean, are what, what do you what do you want to hear? Who do you want to hear from? How much are they going to pay us? <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course that that's our job is to make it listenable and entertaining at the same time, um, which I think we could do. But just just to give you an example, we we have an episode coming up with a friend of ours who does uh, pest control, for instance, and I thought you know that was a good conversation overall. And an interesting one to hear his background and how he, you know, started the business. But naturally, if people listen to that and they become aware of his pest control company, people people right. need pest control. So I can only imagine that'll drive some percentage of sales, depending on uh, you know who's listening. But ultimately, we could also well same with realtors, exactly designers. Exactly. There's a whole there's there's a uh, there's some there's, just, there's an endless amount of services that we would be able to to get in front of and people it all the, all it comes down to is building the yeah, audience yeah. and that's obviously the most difficult and piece. then well in doing so we could also start potentially advertising more locally through social media or other means and mm -hmm. then we're just playing an arbitrage game of what's the difference between what we're paying to advertise versus what we're getting paid to advertise right. somebody else's service so that's that's really the the ultimate business plan at the end of the day is make interesting content. But at the same time, maybe it can be marketed for, you know, local listeners and local businesses have those, you know, come together. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously our, our goal is to be transparent with the user, with the, with the listeners. The and that's part of the reason, guys, of why we need the users. The list, I've got my tech yeah. mind turned on. It's all about the users, the, the customer experience, the yeah. seat, the user experience. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, we want to make sure that, you know, you guys understand of kind of what our goals are with this and kind of take you on for the journey, give you some transparency that you might not be able to get elsewhere. Yeah. So we'll see if you have thoughts, comment below, cool. like, subscribe, tell your, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your cousin to start listening. And, uh, we're, we're planning to fill, fill don't your, don't sell your yeah. crypto. <laughs> yeah. Hoddle. It's going to come back by the dip, not financial advice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and until, uh, until yeah, next week, <laughs> we'll, we'll hopefully have some better news soon. <laughs> All right. Good chatting. We'll see. Talk to you later. Awesome.